Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you. We were talking before we came on there about a blog I wrote some years ago called Eat Your Way to Success. You, know, you could have up to three external meetings a day, 15 a week. But if people just did two or three of those, that could be 100 to 150 external meetings. Mm-hmm. And I'll guarantee you double digit growth if you did nothing else, because good things happen when you go and talk to people. So people go, well, Alistair, I'm trying to run a law business, so I haven't got any time. So I go, well, give me at least two hours a week. When do you do it? Avoid Monday and Friday. So it might be Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. I usually try and encourage people to pick lunchtime. I recently did, um, this is a research document where I asked 150 law firms how they won new clients. But most of them told me they did about an hour a day. But then I scratched at the services and said, what are you doing in that five hours in the week? And about 70% of it was sat behind a desk blogging. When I said, well, when you actually closed the deals, what did it look like? And they were always one-on-one looking each other in the eye. All right, everybody, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Tales show. Today, I have the pleasure to introduce you to Alistair Marshall. Alistair, welcome. Thank you. Good to be here. Different time zones, of course. Totally. Alistair is located in Sydney, Australia, so it's 14 hours ahead of me. So it's his Tuesday morning. It's my Monday evening. Uh, but yeah, I've been following Alistair for quite a while on LinkedIn. I've been always impressed with his um, legal marketing expertise and professional services expertise. And I'm so privileged to have him on the show. So Alistair, did a little bit of research on you. You have, you have a degree in monetary economics from the Charter Banker Institute, which is in England, I assume. And then it is was, in England. Yes. And then you worked several years in sales while living in England before making a switch to marketing when you moved to Sydney, Australia. So tell us about the move. Why did you make the move? Well, I was very sales focused. So my background was in fast moving consumer goods. So I sold things like beer and I sold things like hairdress planks, but I ran very large sales teams, 60, 70 people with some big budgets, $100 million plus. And then we came to uh, a small matter called the GFC in 2008. And I thought I might start my own sales coaching business. And I went out and all I met were lawyers, accountants and bankers who couldn't tell me why they were better than any other lawyer, accountant or banker. And I thought, these are the people who need the help. So um, I read books on how to run law firms and professional services businesses and just consumed a huge amount of content and then rewrote an awful lot of the content I had and gave it a professional services bias. And then you do need a piece of luck in life. So somebody said to me, if you want to get into the professional services market in the UK, you need to get in with the Royal Bank of Scotland. And I was introduced to a man who banked 1,500 law firms. And he said, Alistair, we're about to have a conference and I need a speaker. Could you be that guy? And I went, I can be that guy. So I addressed this audience. And at the end of it, 33 managing partners came up to me, gave me their business card and said, we need to talk to you because that's exactly what we need to get better at. And that was it. I was off and running. And then eventually, a few years later, my wife dropped the bombshell that we were moving to the other side of the world where I didn't know anybody. (laughs) 
So uh, we got off an aeroplane, arrived in Sydney. She went to work in Planet Corporate. And, um, well, it was a nice time for me. I had a couple of months off to decide before what I was going to do. But then literally started from scratch and mm -hmm. had to, you know, redo the model that I'd done in the UK, uh, which I'm quite happy to share with you. But we, we might be here all day if I had to do such a thing. Um, but very happy to share some of the things that I've done uh, over the, you know, the last 10, 12 years here in Australia. So the guests can listen and take some things away. Lovely, lovely. So you were in sales quite a bit, and then you made the move to marketing. Was it because yes. of what happened at the industry conference that people approached you? No, I wouldn't put it as that. I would say that um, in big organizations, you separate marketing and sales. When you get into smaller organizations, uh, of which there are many in professional services, they don't have that luxury. And because they hate the S word sales, because it's beneath them, below them, it's cheesy, desperate, they're not doing it. We wrap it up and we call it business development, but it's a very different skill set. So marketing is that if you have a marketing problem, you can't get meetings with prospects or referrers. If you have a sales problem or a BD problem, you can get coffee meetings with people, but you can't close them. <laughs> because you've never been taught what to say at that meeting. And I have huge empathy with the people who I go and see. Law school people never get taught how to grow a practice. I actually failed my accountancy exams. I'm Spartacus. So when I go and sit with accountants people, I'm quite happy to admit that. But I do know no one at accountancy school taught me how to grow a business. And it still doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. right? So there are law schools all over the world that still don't have enough uh, things in their courses about how to teach people how to do this. Now, whilst we're on education, I don't know how many of your, your listeners might have an MBA or aspire to have an MBA. Now, if you do one in Australia, the best place to go is with a guy called Mark Ritson at Melbourne Business School. It's about 85,000 US dollars for two years. And I'm going to condense the learning of that two-year course for the benefit of your listeners right now. <laughs> so you will go there and you will fundamentally learn that the financials of your professional services business only depend on two things, which is operational competence times marketing. Mm -hmm. So in idiot's terms, that's how good you are at what you do, multiplied by how good you are at telling people about how good you are at what you do. And most professional people, lawyers, accountants, bankers, are not great at that second discipline. Mm -hmm. And that's where they can really improve. Uh, and, you know, that's why people like me and you and exist uh, to try and assist them in their endeavors. Yes, that's that's wonderful. That's really good. I like that analogy. And you know what? I've met a lot of um, lawyers that used to work in the law firm that I work with, and then they went out on their own to start their own practice. Um, and I have a passion for helping these lawyers because they've been really good to me. So in your opinion, when somebody starts out on their own, starts her or her own firm, uh, what's the best way to start marketing? Is it creating a proper website, go out there and network, go on speaking engagement tours? What is it? All of the above is the answer. So um, what you're describing is very common. So lots of people end up in a big law firm, then decide for whatever reason they're going to set up on their own. And they come out of a big law firm where they might have had one or two big clients and that fed everybody some work. And then they come out and they realize clients are actually quite sticky. So they didn't follow them out the door. And it's a tough world out there. So um, you should, in this world, start with a digital footprint. Mm -hmm. So uh, we live in a world of Deb. Deb is the digitally empowered buyer. 
you know, no one no one buys anything these days without Googling it if it's over $500, right? So they'll be exactly the same when you want a legal service. So even if my bank manager has recommended Mr. Raposo as my lawyer, I'm still going to Google you. Mm-hmm. And what I find there will determine whether I give you a coffee meeting or not. And whether I give you one and I'm sat like this because I'm not as impressed as you think I should be. Mm-hmm. So the digital footprint is huge. Okay. So that's it's your salesman. It's 365 days a year. They never have a day off. They never take holidays. You don't have to pay them super fund or anything like that. So we need to get that bit right. So the second part is no one hires a generalist in 2023. Uh-huh. So we need to see some specialism. Mm-hmm. So um, I claim lawyers, accountants, banking, but I do engineers, I do recruiters, I do software or anyone in that B2B space. But I'm, I, I, I win work a lot easier in law firms because I put my flag in the sand and say I specialize in doing this for lawyers. And I've done probably 200 law firms over the last 10 years. So it just makes it easier for me to attract those types of people. And I can tell war stories that are industry specific. So it's my belief that industry specialism prevents you from ever becoming redundant because people will always want that. Mm-hmm. So I do think that's a, a big thing. Um, there's kind of three questions when they come out and work on their own, they have to answer. Why do I need your product or service at all? Why should I choose you rather than someone else? And why should I do it now rather than wait? Mm-hmm. Now, I spend hours in boardrooms at firms making sure we find answers to those questions. And for the litigators online, don't underestimate the power of that third question, why we should do it now rather than wait. Because in litigation matters, um, often the competition isn't another lawyer or law firm. It's the client sitting on the hands and choosing inertia and taking no action. Right. So we have to put some urgency into the sales message. Um, so they're pretty important things to consider. The other things I've made some scribbles here. We were talking before we came on there about a blog I wrote some years ago called Eat Your Way to Success. So what that kind of talks about is um, you, know, you could have up to three external meetings a day, 15 a week. So you could have breakfast with someone, you could have lunch with someone, you could have an afternoon coffee or a drink on the way home. We'd all be enormously big. It'd be very unhealthy. But if people just did two or three of those, that could be 100 to 150 external meetings. Mm-hmm. And I'll guarantee you double digit growth if you did nothing else, because good things happen when you go and talk to people. But if you get better at the messages that you deliver when you're there, exponential growth is is, awaits you so people go well Alistair I'm trying to run a law business so I haven't got any time so I go well give me at least two hours a week it's hard to grow a practice in less than two hours a week so I'll I'll take more of your hours but I'll take a minimum of two when do you do it avoid Monday and Friday Monday you tend to have client things that have happened over the weekend so they might want to talk to you so there's client demands Fridays we're all humans we might have one eye on the weekend and I can't speak for all of America, it's a big place. But here in Australia, if you try and get hold of anyone on a Friday afternoon, they're on a surfboard at the beach, it isn't happening. So so I, I don't advise you to do it on Fridays either, unless you're having a social event. So it might be Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday. I usually try and encourage people to pick lunchtime, say 12 till two. So you might write a blog, you might make a video, you might do a podcast as we're recording now. But the second hour allows you to get out from behind your desk to go and meet people or do a Zoom in the modern world. So I, um, just to wave something, I I recently did, um, this is a research document where I asked 150 law firms how they won new clients and how many dollars and how many hours they invested to win perfect profile clients. So they told me, so I'm not guessing this, but most of them told me they did about an hour a day. Not sure I believed them, but that's what they said. 
But then I scratched at the surfaces and said, what are you doing in that five hours in the week? And about 70% of it was sat behind a desk, blogging, LinkedIn, all this kind of thing. But when I said, well, when you actually closed a deal with someone, what did it look like? And they were always one-on-one looking each other in the eye. So we've got to promote people to do exactly that. So you can be great at marketing and win a meeting, but if you can't close, you'll struggle, right? So there's there's two skill sets at play here. Um, and then people say, well, who should I do it with? Who do I go out and meet? So I then talk about a 555 list, okay? So in big firms, poor marketers give um, give partners or directors a whole list of people. Here's 200 names of businesses on the industrial estate on the outside of town. It's like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> so again, busy people, 20, maybe 21 working days in a month. There's only so many relationship balls you can juggle. So I, I try and keep it to five existing clients that if you spent more time with them, you could do more work with them. So that's either selling them different services that you can deliver, that your colleagues can deliver. It might be you do work for them in Florida, but you don't do work for them in California or Georgia or whatever it is. So you can have a geographical thing, but there's lots of opportunity if you invested more time. Second group would be uh, perfect profile clients, prospects. Mm -hmm. So you don't act for them, but you'd like to. uh, And you need the names of not just the organization, but the decision maker within the organization because you need to be specific. Mm-hmm. And the third group would be referrers. So five referrers who can help you. So you've got this 555 list. It's a dynamic list which can change at any time. But if you focus on in any month on how you're going to build relationships with those 15 people, that's great. So you have two challenges, visibility, credibility. No one hires you if they don't know who you are. And that's and there's two brands, right? So you've got the umbrella firm brand and you as an individual, because people still hire individual lawyers. People hire people, not firms, mm-hmm. or to a certain extent. So lots of different things at play. In terms of um, networks, this is where the specialism really kicks in. So I encourage everyone listening to try and build an ecosystem around your client for referrals. Now, the first thing is, is when I go and ask people about how many, you know, I say, how have you built your practice? And they go, oh, word of mouth referral, Alistair. And I go, well, that's great because they convert at higher rates than other types of leads. They're usually free. Problem is, is that you can only grow your practice at a rate that other people talk about you, which is dangerous because you're not in control of your own destiny. Mm-hmm. So good, successful practices will not be over-reliant on referrals or AdWords. And I talk to people about having up to 20 routes to market for lead generation on top of those two things. And when I challenge people, you know, how many, how many referrals have you asked for this year? People go very quiet on me and stare at the shoes with guilt because they've never asked. So three pots of revenue in a law firm. Pot one, recurring revenue. That's great. They're retainers. Everybody loves them. Your bank manager will love them because he knows they're coming. Second pot of revenue reactive revenue when the clients get busy you get busy so we've had two years of that in covid right so employment lawyers property lawyers and now more recently family lawyers boom time just because clients got busy there was a demand for the work they didn't have to do anything to get for it it's just the work is there pot three is the really interesting one this is the growth pot so this is the proactive pot which is this is the type of work we'd like to win. It's profitable and we're going to go and win it. But because it's out of people's comfort zones, that's the one that's left alone. And they tend to operate in the other two pots. But if you want real growth in a practice, go after pot three, it's where the winners go. Um, 
So it's a, it's a real differential kind of thing. And yeah. it's important. So this ecosystem, so for example, I've always, always like sharing war stories of my uh, history. So because I'm after lawyers per se, I have lunch every month with the head of professional services at banks. These people bank hundreds of law firms, more law firms than I could ever wish to work at. So I don't have to reach out to all these firms necessarily because people can open the doors for me. I do it with head of audit at some of the major accountancy practices who do the audits on the law firms. I do it with insurance brokers who specialise in, uh, you know, insuring legal practices. Mm -hmm. right? So we all want the same clients, but we don't compete. Right. So we invite each other to each other's events and we open doors for each other and it works. And no finance changes hands. Right. We do it because we enjoy each other's company and we have a drink and something to eat. It's a nice sociable thing. There's a second group in my ecosystem for the client, because if you want to be perceived as an expert. I never want to be in a boardroom where I can't recommend services to people. Mm -hmm. So if you write down all the services, I'll take legal as an example, things like recruiters, practice management software, foreign exchange. I've got people I can recommend in that space will do my brand image good because I know they deliver good services, but I can also clip a ticket. All right. There's a revenue stream in there mm -hmm. if you pick the right partners. So I've got a list of about 20 yes. service providers into law firms where I can clip a ticket. But again, they're out thinking of me and all the clients they go and see, if somebody says to them, well, well, we can't afford your product because work's not coming in at the level we'd like it to, or we're not growing as much as we'd like, they can send their client to me, right? So we're in this network of, but it's all, if you don't know what your ideal client looks like, it's very difficult to put that together. Yep, that's right. That's why you this generalist law firm is a tough sell. That is the thing, you know, that, that's why you want to niche down. Um, and that's sometimes the danger when somebody goes out on their own there and the clients don't follow them from the firm, they kind of scramble and they think, how oh, am I going to pick up business? I'm just going to pick up whatever comes my way. But you just explained that it may be a slippery slope that they go down there because people don't want generalists. They want people that are um, in a specific niche and industry um, that they've been in for a while. Well, the other good the good news is for the lawyers is, is that experts don't charge low fees. <laughs> that is true. That is absolutely true. Now, now um, let's say, like you said earlier, right? Um, even though somebody refers me to you, let's say Alistair Marshall is my is going to be the lawyer that is going to be referred to me, I'm still going to go on Google, right? To to look you up. So how important in your opinion is social proof should lawyers write up case studies customer spotlights or ask their potential clients or their their clients once they finish the job to leave a google review for example okay so not the first time today my answer or my response is going to be all of the above, all of the above. so um certainly for the younger generations uh social proof is huge mm -hmm. so um no, if you go through the generations, my mother, bless her, is 86. She's not going to use Chris Raposo unless I physically sit with her and introduce you in person and go, Chris is the finest lawyer in the whole of the Americas, okay? And she might choose to trust her son and take you on based on that. Uh -huh. We've then got, you know, guys in the building I live here, we've got dot-com millionaires who just walk around with an electrical device. If you're not visible on an electric platform, you don't exist. 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so the complexity of legal marketing is way ahead of what it was 15 years ago because we've got so many more digital tools to play with and platforms to be spotted on. So the complexity is quite to the fore. That said, um, you know, online things, yes, I think Google reviews is important and it obviously helps with SEO, even though I'm not a tech specialist, um, but it's nice to see. You know, I still go to law firm websites and they've got three Google reviews and an average of 2.7. It's not making me really pick up the phone, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have to be careful as well because I think I've got about 30-odd five-star reviews, but I haven't got as many as I should do because my discipline's not as good at asking for them as I should. Um, but there's, if you go to my uh, website, there's lots of, not so much case studies, but there's certainly quotes and testimonials. And what I'm really big on, because humans are visual, is actually putting the logos of the businesses I've worked with. Uh-huh. so i find that um you know a real credit stamp you know mm-hmm. so i've got i've worked with some really recognizable firms largest um insurance broker on earth you know one of the largest top four accounts on earth largest law firm on earth right so i'm very proud of that so i'm not backwards in coming forwards in putting those logos on the website mm-hmm. that gives people comfort that they're not the first person to take the risk on me Yes, there's a brand so, recognition there too, right? When you see that logo, sure. you recognize it. You're like, oh, I, I trust that logo. They trusted yeah. Alistair. I trust Alistair. Yeah, nobody wants to take the risk and be the first to take that you know, mm-hmm. jump in. So if you can demonstrate a track record, then that, I think that's really important. And again, do that by industry sector. Mm-hmm. You, know, if, if I'm, you know, if I'm an educational facility like a school, and the testimonial on there is from an engineering firm. I'm kind of scratching my head. Well, how does that relate to me? So obviously my place, professional services, clearly all the testimonials are people who are likely to look like the people I'm trying to convince to use me, if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Makes total sense. So Thank yeah, you. Vid- no, do you do it with a video testimonial? I don't have them on, but I, I understand their value as we move towards video for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but as I, I just like the visual concept of the of the logo. I think it's really powerful. Sure, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, written testimonies, video testimonies. Um, I'm big in a video just because people can quickly look at it while they're browsing a website and they don't have to read that much. You know, if it's an extensive case study, for example, they may not have the time, but they may have a minute to look at a short video. Um, briefly touched on SEO earlier and content marketing block writing. What are your thoughts on using AI to help um, expedite that, that that part of your job? You know, Jet GPT is hot right now. It is. And um, I signed up, I think, on day four it came out. Mm-hmm. But I haven't upgraded since. So I'm still on the 3.5 poor man's version. <laughs> and I've not had as much time to play around with it as I might like. Uh, and the, the bits I've done with it were not fantastic. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, it wasn't, you know... It's not an arrogance, but it didn't come up. It didn't read as well as it didn't sound like a human. Sure. Um, yeah. I, I tend to try and wrap my writing style is to write as I speak in quite short sentences. Mm-hmm. And it didn't replicate that. So it didn't. You know, if I sent that out to people who knew me and had been reading my content for 10 years, they'd be like, Alistair's not written that, Chat GPT's written that. Mm-hmm. So I think you have, you know, one of the things we talk about in our game is authenticity. Uh-huh. I think it counts for a lot. So if it doesn't sound like you, I'd be careful what you use it for. But yes. don't get me wrong. We're now six months down the line. We've got 4.0, which I haven't played with, but I believe it's heaps better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's not replaced some of the jobs yet, it will do because it'll only get better over time. So I'm not a dinosaur. I've not got <laughs> my head in the sand hoping it's going to go away. 
I'm thinking about how I might be able to use it to enhance some of the things that I do and save time just like everybody else's. Yeah, that makes sense. I actually updated, upgraded to uh, GPT 4.0, but for the reason because I am uh, I'm part of a panel discussion in two days on the topic of generative AI and GPT. So I just felt like I needed to play with the tool. Oh, well, it's strange. It's um, people only can all the all the noise that I see on social media, particularly LinkedIn, about it. Always talks about how it can help with the written word. Mm -hmm. I recently had the opportunity to speak at an accountex exhibition here in the ICC in Sydney. And so it's all accountants. And they were talking about how they've used it inside Microsoft Excel to mm -hmm. write formulas and write code. Yeah. It's just phenomenal what it could do in terms of time saving. So yeah. people shouldn't think about it. It's only for the word. It, it will end up doing a lot more than that. Yeah, I've been using it a lot for uh, my content creation, but I would never simply copy and paste what it spits out right i would i use it as the ugly first draft and then i edit it myself give it my voice give the give the relevant references for my target audience um to give a little bit more weight to the piece and yeah. um you know for cold emails for example i use it or for an announcement webinar announcement or something like this this is what i would use it for but that's about well, as far as i go when I get time, and I've no idea when this is going to be, um, I've written a few books in the past, but there's a book I did that I never published. Oh. And it's probably 10 years old now. Now, it clear, would clearly need updated, but I could probably copy and paste pages of that text into AI and mm -hmm. ask it to update it and then give it prompts to yeah. deliver it in a certain manner. And it would probably save me hours. And at some point, I must get around to that, <laughs> um, but I haven't done it yet. Yeah, apparently you can also um, train that tool by uploading um, certain content that you've written in the past to recognize your voice and then ask it to replicate your tone of voice and write an article about whatever subject you want to write about. So I've seen people do that online as well. So it's something you should maybe look into just to play around with it. But uh, let's get away from content marketing. Um, you're also a keynote speaker and you have presented at various on various topics over the years. I know that the one you did in England gave you a big break, um, but you've since speak spoke, you know, numerous times. It's I'm my number one route to market to generate quality leads. Okay. With, without question. Okay. So the other thing, I'm guessing that the majority of your listeners may be in the legal profession, okay? So these are people who are very time-based. So even though we've been trying to kill the billable hour in all the years I've known, it still delivers 85% of the work in the world. It's still billed by billable hours. So time is of the essence. So but I would want lawyers who might think I don't want to do this. Here's, here's my way of trying to sell the concept to you. First of all, I should admit the first time I spoke, I sounded like Michael Jackson because I was so nervous. My voice was in And as you go through time, you realize... You know, you know more about your subject than the people in the audience and they're on your side. So you don't have to worry about it. Um, but the point I would make is and I give this as a war story. So two years ago, just at the start, just before the COVID lockdowns, um, I went to speak at the New Zealand Law Society conference. Now, for those who don't know, New Zealand's geography is really mountainous and it's diverse. And if you were to try and drive around that place, it's not like Florida or California that's got lots of nice, big, long, flat roads. It's just not like that. 
So the time it would take to drive around the geography and try and meet people would be horrific. So I flew there, spoke for an hour at the conference, and there was 283 firms in the room. Right. So at the end of my speaking, I always give away um, a free hour of my time for partners to run in their partner meetings the following month via Zoom. So 93 of the 283 came down the front, gave me their business card and said, yes, Alistair, we'd be interested in doing that. So I start with 283 people that now they're not allowed to give me the contact details, obviously, but I can be told who they are and what firms they're from. So I can, I've got 283 new LinkedIn friends, 93 of them have identified themselves as warm leads and said, yes, we'd be interested in doing that. So I come back to Sydney. How many winners do you think Mrs. Marshall picked out of the hat for the free one hour? 10. I can't do, well, I can't do 93. That's ridiculous, right? So you sift them for the who you think is going to benefit and who can okay. afford it and who'd be ideal. So they get, uh, you know, congratulations, you've won a free hour. So I think I ended up doing nine. Uh, of those nine, four became ongoing clients. Two of them I'm still doing every month, two years later. Right? So it's lots of dollars, but yeah. I only gave two days out of my time. So if, if I'd have tried to have a coffee meeting with 283 individuals for an hour, first of all, there's 283 hours of coffee, plus <laughs> the price of the coffee, plus the time to send the email to organize, then the travel between, it's just not possible. Yes. So for time poor professionals, you really got to get on board with the speaking. Mm -hmm. But you have to find a way to harness uh, the, the contact details of the audience, because quite often the organizers won't share that with you. So you've got to be creative in terms of what you can do to find that, because that's what makes the difference. That is very interesting. See, you know, in the United States, I go to a lot of industry conferences as an exhibitor. And part of the deal, the buy-in, is to get a list of emails of everybody that attended here. So I get In that. fairness, though, you can... You know, there's email scraping devices and, you know, most lawyers have their email on their website. So if yeah. you, you could, and even if you go, you know, I can't speak for the States, but, you know, here in Australia, if you go to the Law Society websites, they have, you know, find a lawyer and you can put in a postcode and yeah, you, you can get all the details pretty quickly. You know, yeah. they're in the public domain. It takes some time to get there, but you can find them. And yeah. plus you can use software like hunter.io and things like that to you know find you as many emails as you like. But the skill isn't in finding the email. It's finding out who are the warm and interested ones. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there, and there is a thing, because you're in the audience and I'm stood on the stage, the perception is that I know more about this topic than you do. True. That's human. Now you just have to have the guts to stand up there and present. Sure. You know. Sure. Um. For all the marketing folks listening on this podcast, what is um, the most important lesson that you've learned helping market law firms that you can share with the audience? Okay. If you went and asked all the people who I've worked with over the last 13, 14 years, they would say the best thing about working with Alistair is we put our prices up. And because we put our prices up, you know, the profit line went through the roof. Wow. They only did that because they, we worked together on making them perceived as experts in their field. Yeah. So I go back to no one wants a generalist. They didn't want one in 2009, 10 when I started, and they definitely don't want one in 2023. Um, 
Google is our friend these days. We can find experts pretty easy. Um, so we need to be one. We can't just pretend to be one. You can't just tell people you're a better lawyer or law firm than the next one and expect people to believe you. You have to be able to demonstrate your expertise. Mm -hmm. And that's likely to be done through speaking, writing, and networking on and offline. Mm -hmm. And if you don't dedicate time in your working week to it, every day you don't do it, you're going backwards because the competition's getting better. So there's no such thing as staying the same. Every day you do nothing, you're going backwards because there's yeah. people out there raising the bar. Yeah, you mentioned networking on and offline. So online, right? I see you, uh, you're obviously a content creator on LinkedIn. Um, would you recommend law firm, lawyers, you know, solo practitioner to go heavy on LinkedIn to start uh, acting as thought leaders on that platform? Well, it's certainly the one for the moment mm -hmm. uh, and has been for a number of years. Um, I wait, I'm sure there'll be another one that comes to the fore. My concern for LinkedIn is that it's turning too much like Facebook. It's getting a little bit too um, non-business. Sure. Um, and I don't know how long that'll last. I'm not sure that's great because I think it'll turn people off if it goes away from what it was originally intended for. Yeah. Although there's going to be recruiters online telling me it started off as a recruiting platform. <laughs> um so, yes, I do believe in that. So, you know, I, I've got about 6,000 followers. If I put content out, that's 6,000 people who get to read what I'm thinking and it doesn't cost me any money to put it there. Um, every time I write a new, no, I only write a new article about once a month. I might repurpose or reshare other people's things. But in terms of taking the time to write a new article, it might only be once a month. Mm -hmm. When I put that out, I've usually got, as it happened this week on the article you're referring to, you know, I get a phone call or an email from someone within 90 minutes that says, oh, you've reminded me. Nice. Um, you know, we're having an off-site conference in two weeks' time. We need a speaker. Can you talk about what you've just written about, right? So good things happen when you, re you know, it's about staying at the forefront of people's mind over time. So yes. what lawyers need to understand is that on any given day, 97 people out of 100 don't want a lawyer. There's only three people who need a lawyer that day. And those three people are the three people chasing the adverts. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's not about quality adverts. It's about people who are ready to buy, but it's not necessarily quality. So what I'm trying to get lawyers to do is to engage with the 97 people who aren't ready to buy on the day next month, next quarter, next year. They are ready to buy. They choose you because you're perceived as the expert in your field. Yes. Um, but that takes a bit of work. It yes. doesn't necessarily cost lots of dollars, but it takes a change in attitude and behavior. Yeah, and it builds trust if you give away your knowledge for free to them at the time they don't need you. But then once they, like you say, once they need you, they it's top of mind right there. Alistair's, I remember his post. So good, good stuff. Um, staying on the topic of social media, what are two social media content creators you could recommend to anyone who wants to become better at legal marketing or wants to learn more about how to um market their firm on linkedin okay so i was brought up with the late david meister right but if anyone was running a law firm or owning a law firm if you go and read some of david meister's work it's still hugely valuable today and i would rain group was still around years ago when i started they're still going gangbusters i think there's a guy called patrick mckenna in america who's excellent at what he does on strategy and marketing in firms um, there's a guy in England called Bernard Savage who runs a thing called Ten and a Half Size Ten and a Half Boots, which is a bizarre title, um, but he's very good. Um, Andrew Sobel in States is quite good. Don't know if you're familiar with him. Stephen Gold in Scotland is a good guy. 
Um, there's a, and again, you have to think of niches. So um, there's a guy here called Mark McKinnis, who's very good on uh, telephone and outbound reach and social media things. And there's a guy in the UK called Ian Brody, who's very good on email. Okay. Um, so again, horses for courses, you know, rather than generalists. Yes, absolutely. Now, if somebody wants to get in touch with you, uh, what's the best way to reach you? Well, um, LinkedIn is certainly a good place to start. So you can find me there, Alistair Marshall, or go to the website, www.professionalservicesbd.com.au, and I'll be happy to chat the world away. And do you help uh, people outside of the, uh, outside of Australia? Do you have clients in the United States you could help out? I have clients all over the place. So uh, I think the blinkers came off with COVID. Yeah. So, you know, in COVID, I was talking to lawyers from Saudi Arabia to Korea and, you know, talking in conferences online in all sorts of manner of places that if you'd have told me six months earlier that people would pay me to do a keynote sat in the kitchen of my own home and I said you were mad. Um, but that world started and, you know, here we are. We're still in, I'm still sat here, strangely enough. <laughs> Amazing. That is good. And that's good news for everybody out there. You know, you can't get out there without having to leave the comfort of your own home. Sure. So that's, that's encouraging. Well, Alistair, I, I appreciate you being on the show. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge today. Enjoyed it. Thanks, Chris. Okay. Take care. Cheers now. Bye-bye.